0: This isn't how I want to spend my days, you know, I, I, there's bigger problems going on in the world, um, in my experience and opinion. And so that's when I decided to go to Nauru. So hello, my name is Nick. Uh, I'm the CEO of a youth mental health organization called Beteer. Um, and The is all about smashing the stigma around mental health um, and about trying to get young people to access support sooner um, and learn how to manage their their mental health uh, every day. So we run education programs in schools, universities, and workplaces. Um, We've evolved those programs all around the idea of storytelling, sharing real, authentic experiences with each other as a way to um, educate, but as a way also to help understand what it's like to manage mental health issues. and and to help kind of bring to life this idea of hope that there are ways that we can manage our mental health and there are things that we can do every day um, to to support those around us and ourselves but also um, better understand what services are available or professional support is there if it's, if it's needed. So it's a preventative program. All of the programs are really fun and high energy, engaging. We try to change the way we're talking about mental health so it's not something so scary or clinical um as it has kind of been traditionally and a bit more accessible for everyone and in particular for us we're focused on um on on young people so uh, that's what Batir is um is all about
1: amazing thanks so much for coming on nick and i'm yeah i'm really excited to talk about that particularly the storytelling part because yeah there's a lot of people that come on this podcast and tell their stories and how I'm keen to ask you about, I heard you speaking on another podcast about how you measure it, which is like having someone speak at a school, telling their story and then surveying the kids listening and asking them, would they be more likely to seek help? Which is so Mm. cool that it's like, that's one of the metrics and you can actually measure it and see the result.
0: Yeah. It's a, I mean, storytelling is, um, you know, something that humanity has been doing for a long time as a way to kind of pass on knowledge and, um, to learn from each other and, and to share experiences. And so we kind of live our lives in a narrative. And, and so I think it makes sense that it's a powerful way to, um, to, to learn. And, and I think mental health has been one of those things that hasn't been talked about to the extent that we probably need to. And so, Uh, it's just a, it's a pretty powerful, um, experience, you know, some, a young person, um, they're usually 18 to 30, uh, years old, um, who has, you know, they might've experienced something like social anxiety and they go through our program and then they're willing to, you know, stand up in front of a hundred students that, um, they don't, haven't met before and, and share their experiences so that, so that others that don't, don't sort of go through what they've been through. And, um, yeah, you know, you can hear a pin drop when those stories are being shared, and students will often come up afterwards and shake hands or say thank you or, or write notes about how how much that's changed, um, had an impact on on them. And so, uh, yeah, we definitely measure um, the impact of that, both the experience for the storyteller, but also for the for the listeners. Um, and and it was all built off this idea of a, a variety of. Um, Research that was done around storytelling and the impact that it can have. Uh, and then since then, we've been able to kind of do our own research along the way as well. Um, that has since seen some, seen some amazing things in the storytellers, things like reductions in, um, self stigma increases in self confidence. And then for the listeners, uh, yeah, things around, um, you know, reductions in stigma and, uh, as well and, and increased likelihood to, um, attitudes towards help seeking. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing, um, uh, amazing thing to see and be a part of. Um, I've been with Patir for about eight years, and so really passionate about the work that we're doing, and um, and constantly inspired by the young people willing to share their experiences, um, so that others can kind of learn from that.
1: Amazing, because yeah, that that is what has helped me the most. Like I always say, this example, but Tyson Fury. A heavyweight boxer. I've said this so many just, times. Just beat must Jake be Paul. Sick of listening to it.
0: Sorry, <laughs> he just beat Jake Paul, didn't he? Or is that his? Did he? I don't
1: know. I haven't been following, but when I, I he talks so openly about his him going to kill himself, like what like happened in that, like leading up to it, at the moment how he overcame it, but from such an empowered place because. Mm. It's just like so real, and through I think anyone who, yeah, deal. I mean, now everyone it's everywhere in society, in you know, talk about mental health. But it's so different having someone saying this is what I went through, Mm. and so you're like, fuck, like it's not just me who. And then I think the point you I heard you say somewhere as well about making sure it's relatable because it really Mm. helps when. I mean, I don't know how relatable I am to Tyson Fury, but for some reason that <laughs> <laughs> his story really helped me. But yeah, it is. It's when you're like, actually, I I'm like similar to that person and they went through something so similar and if they overcame it, then I can too. Like is that kind of the idea? Yeah, I mean
0: that's a massive a massive part of it. Um, yeah, relatability is is something that Was part of the, um, so there's some research done in the States around storytelling, and part of that was about one of the key elements that needs to be there is relatability. Um, but that's not always the case. I think sometimes we, and you you sort of talk to it, but like there are just sometimes some stories that connect with you. They just hit something home. Um, and it probably is around, um, relatability in some ways in terms of similarities in the experience or something, but, um, yeah, uh, it's, It is partly that, um, you know, ability to go, Oh, that's, that's like me. Sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's even like articulation of experiences. So for, for young people in particular, um, and often young guys who haven't sort of developed skills to, um, express their emotions in words. So like to, to be able to take what they're feeling and, and explain it to someone, um, is that can be really hard. And so, Mm When you hear someone else do it, who's been trained and, and, and practiced and, um, and things, uh, that's when you can start to go, oh, that's, that's, that maybe that's what I'm experiencing. And they can relay that back to their school counselor or their mum or their friends or whatever and, and kind of go from there. So it also often gives language. Um, and, uh, and, and then the other part of it is just like empathy, you know, that, that ability to go, well, I've never actually stopped and listened to someone share their experience and that that experience was like that for them and and if it's like that for them it's probably like that for other people in my class and and we see that kind of cultural shift around being a little bit more understanding a little bit more supportive um and changing kind of that that culture that that conversation as well
1: amazing and then do you, okay last question before i ask about you and how you got involved in this but Do you find, because this is what I find on this podcast, that people will often share, um, vulnerable things and for me as well. And it's like, yeah, that's really daunting, especially on this, because it's like how you have no idea who's going to listen to it. Um, Mm. people are listening to it after the fact, but it's when someone says like actually something. That you said, cause yeah, it's one thing. Okay. People are listening, but it's still quite scary. Like, what are they thinking? But then mm. when someone comes and says, like, actually, I went, you know, my parents went through a divorce and I experienced a similar thing or whatever it is. And then you get that the speaker gets that feedback that then they, they're like, yeah. wow, by sharing this, I made a difference to someone. And so it's kind of like in a way like some of my suffering could be channeled for to help someone else
0: yeah 100% and i think um you know we we have a, a pretty um significant st- structure around uh supporting these young people that share their their stories because um you know, on one hand, there we, we do hear that, that their experience is, is actually quite positive for themselves in sharing and a big part of their driver is the feeling that they get after doing it, being a really positive one. But at the same time, we're human beings and um, sometimes we're not feeling up to doing something like that or um, life isn't as rosy through a period as it was, you know, six months ago and, and sharing an experience about how we're doing really well isn't authentic. Um, and so... Like, I think the ability to, I think it is important when you're sharing vulnerabilities about yourself that, um, you're in the right headspace to do that. You're in the right environment. Like, we don't necessarily encourage people to just share things all the time wherever. Um, I think you want to make sure you are safe too and, um, that you are considered in, in where things might be shared or, um, or, or whatever it might be, and so we do talk a little bit about like sharing stories online and and the fact that that once that is done it's it's up there and it is out in the world and it's not a bad thing um but it's a consideration um and so you know with with the team that look after supporting these young people you know they will often be um young people that take a well being what we just call a well being break and so essentially they might spend six months or a year sharing their story and then they decide for six months they just want um focus on. Study or work or whatever else they're doing. And then they might come back and share their story again. And I think, you know, that, like I said, the big driver is the fact that they get these young people coming and saying to them, thank you so much. That like had a huge impact on me or, you know, like we have thousands and thousands of little notes and stories about, I'm now going to go get support or I think my brother is going through what your experience was. I just, I'm going to just ask him if he's okay or, you know, I just, there's, there was a, a young girl who, um, she was actually at, at, at a crisis point. She had made a plan on how she was going to take her life and she remembered the program from a few weeks earlier. And in that program, we put Lifeline's number. We get students put Lifeline's number in their phone and Lifeline's a, a crisis support service in Australia. Um, and in that moment, she called Lifeline and they, they supported her through that and, and, um, through that moment. And, uh, and then she ended up getting support that she needed. She ended up going and studying. Um, at university, she came back and learned how to, share, how to share her story, started sharing her story at our programs. And, um, so there's these amazing, um, experiences that these young people have in just being able to hear people be real, share that things get hard. Um, but there's also things that we can do, um, to manage when, when things do get tough.
1: Oh my God. That's such an amazing story. So then hmm. you found out that that had happened in that moment from when she, Came back years later and told. Yeah, people-
0: her mum. Her mum emailed us and said, "You know, just said thank you for the program. It, you know, probably saved her life." Um, and and so we reached out to them, and and yeah, since we've just had a, a bit of a relationship, I guess around, um, you know, that experience, they've shared their story at, at different events for us and things. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty amazing.
1: And then I guess the other thing, um you'd have to make sure of is that you because I yeah because with the sharing stuff online I think there's a difference between an empowering story where someone's saying like this was really hard this is the reality this is what I did this is how I sought help and this is you know not that everything's perfect forever it's like maybe I'm still dealing with this but I'm supported and whatever, I'm in a really great place versus someone who's like still in pain and maybe more like a victim mentality or something like that, which then is, yeah, maybe not the best thing for young people to kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's kind of two elements to to that. One is around, yeah, being in the right, headspace like there are times when we need to be focusing on ourselves and how we get well and better and and it isn't it isn't going to be the best time to be sharing um you know some people might disagree with that and and that sometimes sharing in the depths of you know know, despair um is a great time to share it's not it's not really the and and you know that that's no not really any um research either way i guess there is research around safe language and and what what we should and shouldn't say, and how much detail we should go into. And so, I think if you're at least in control around how you're that story in those moments, then maybe that is okay. But what we what we focus on is, um, is yeah, just making sure that people are in the right headspace to share, that they're in control of of kind of what what they're saying, what they want to get across, and in the way that they want to get it across. Um, and we actually help structure the story, and so we talk about the well analogy, which essentially um the structures the structure of the story that we um, that we look to support on is a uh, sort of start with talking about yourself and who you are um, and and kind of bring to life the fact that um, you, that you're a, a real person like living life and and that you've got real experiences. You're at school or you, you enjoy music or whatever it is um, because I think often mental health um, is associated with well, mental health disorders often kind of um, for for a lot of people, they feel like that is who they are or for, um a stig- stigma a community that may have stigma towards mental health might view someone that if they've got bipolar disorder that is who and everything that they are for example um so we get them to talk just about who they are and their background and um and then they and then they'll start to talk about the the really tough times that's where we're going down into the well um and they'll 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 chat about um the real experience that it was to, to kind of go through some of the things that they've been through, but then we also talk about coming out of the well and making sure that they're talking about what they do every day now, took after their mental health, how they got support, um, and and sort of the lessons that they they took out of that experience, and and that means that when the students leave, they're leaving feeling empowered that they can do something about it, that there is hope, that there's something that they can do for themselves or for their friends. And and so I think that's, you know, one part of it is being in a safe headspace. The other part of it is really thinking about how you want to share your story um, in a way that's going to get the best um I guess impact on people listening. I think sometimes people feel like it has to be um confronting or or like the the best way to have an impact is is to sort of share you know huge amounts of detail and and like um how you know how traumatic it was or, or whatever, and that some elements of that are important, but actually um it, it it's not it's not necessarily about needing to do it that way it's about um making sure that you're you're covering kind of the the key elements we talk about little stories in stories um we talk about using analogies about trying to bring to life what that experience is like, so we focus more on i guess that um, bringing the story to life rather than necessarily individual specific moments in someone's life.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry, I wanted to talk about, but I'm going against the well, the well (laughs) approach that I usually go with, which is starting with the first question about you and how you grew up. So can we do that?
0: Yeah, sure. So I, um, I grew up in a small coastal town about four hours north of Sydney. So it's, it's on the mid-north coast of, of New South Wales in Australia. Um, about 2000 people there when I grew up, a bit of context. And there was some smaller, smaller sort of, um, larger regional towns close by, but it was a very small town. Um, it was a great place to grow up. Um, you could just walk down to the beach and go for a surf. Um, went to high school public high school uh sort of in the bigger the bigger regional town um just outside of Olbar, about a 15 minute drive from where i lived and yeah had two had mom and dad two brothers middle middle um, middle brother of three boys and um yeah had a great i had a great up, upbringing there um but as soon as i sort of finished high school i i left i left i was ready at that point um to to go and explore I guess, go and explore the world, I guess, um, and get out of there. Um, So I still get to visit um, plenty and I love it up there, um, but it's also uh, good to get away. And I live in Sydney now, um, so it's a little bit of a different – I've been in Sydney for about 10 years and it's a bit of a different way of life, Um, but uh, there's some exciting – there's pros and cons, I think, to everywhere you live. But, yeah, grew up in Bar.
1: And how did you get into this work? I know you spent some time in Nauru as well, right? Mm. Which I'm yeah. keen to. It sounds like I've been stalking to you. I've just listened to a couple of <laughs> podcast interviews you did. Yeah. No, and no, you no. didn't talk that much. You never talk that much about yourself or um, you told the story of the founder of Batir a couple of times, but you never mm. kind of, I never heard your story about why you are really passionate about mental health?
0: Yeah, well, it's not only the it's not only the question. I talk a lot about Batir, obviously, and and um and what we do and uh the impact it's having, and um and yeah, obviously our to say um is a big part of that. Uh, but yeah, there's not always as many questions about me, but um happy to talk about that. Uh, so how would I get into it? I mean, that, yeah, um it's a tough question because. It's hard to it's hard to sort of go back to the moment where I feel like I realised. So I can talk specifically about how I got to the, to the tier, but I think the idea of moving into sort of the social sector or working for not for profit um, probably is slightly deeper than that. Um, I, I, when I went to um, when I was in year twelve, I was actually the school captain of my high school, um, which I don't know around the world people schools do this, but um, essentially. The students and teachers vote for someone to be school captain, which um, involves a variety of different roles. But anyway, I was a school captain, and so um, there were sort of certain expectations of uh, how I would act at school. And it's usually um, usually for someone pretty smart and that people look up to. I wasn't ever very smart or anything, but um, but I think I had a, I sort of got along well with with peers at school and um, and teachers and things. And so I was a school captain and um during year 12 i got an opportunity to go and do some aid work in um in in africa and kenya and um and i remember having a conversation with my principal at the time and he was like this is a bad idea you know you've got your um hsc which is sort of was at the time um uh, the sort of end of year or end of high school exams that kind of give you the mark to get into university and Um, he was like, You should be focusing on that. You need to be a good example to others across the school and so I thought about whether it was a good idea and I spoke to my dad um and he said you know, he essentially said, You definitely should go. This is you're gonna get way more out of going and doing that than you will out of sort of um, you know, a month of study at high school. Um, so I did, I did go, and I guess the reason I say that is I think probably my parents are a part of, um, the idea of trying to give and, and, um, trying to have an impact on the world. Um, I really feel now like that, that is what drives me is how do I just add value to the world in whatever way I can? Um, so I went and did that. And I mean, I, I have certain views on like doing some of those programs and stuff and now overseas in, in terms of like what, um, you know, how much value I gave versus what I got out of it and, and things like that and how much we need to be empowering local communities to solve local problems and things. But um, but ultimately it had a huge impact on on me and, and the direction that I wanted to take. And and so pretty much as I left school, I, I pretty much just worked for not for profits. I did um I did some time working in local government. Um, helping to, I was essentially a contact person for sporting clubs and sporting fields. And, um, and so I'd, you know, take bookings and I'd look after sort of the um, implementation of grant funding and things like that. And I remember one phone call. And so I did that for two years. And so it was a bit of a shift for me out of the not-for-profit space going to government. And I remember a phone call, um, that I got, uh, from someone. Who was upset about how long the grass was, um, for the soccer game on the weekend. Um, and I remember just feeling inside myself that I just didn't care enough about, <laughs> about how long the grass was. And I totally get that as, you know, it's people's communities, people, people, um, love sport and, um, you know, like I, I don't have anything against that. I just, for me, I was like this. This isn't how I want to spend my days. You know, I, I, there's bigger problems going on in the world. Um, in my experience and opinion, um, than, than this. And so I, that's when I decided to go to Nauru. So yeah, I worked in, um, in Nauru. So essentially in, in Australia, if people, um, uh, if, if asylum seekers, uh, um, attempt to get to Australian shores by boat, we pick them up. And, um, essentially have laws that say they, um, aren't allowed to enter Australia. And so we've done deals with countries like Papua New Guinea and, um, and Nauru where they are processed, um, on those islands or on the, in those nations, um, rather than in Australia. And so people have very, very varying views on that policy. Um, but regardless, <coughs> um, I worked over there. Uh, as a recreation support worker, so essentially got to do a lot of the nice things, um, with, with, with the, the, what well, they were called transferees, which isn't the nicest name, but, um, they, so I do like take them to play sport or, um, organize gym sessions, game like board games, um, we, I sort of helps organize, um, getting haircuts, like it was all the, all of the real life stuff, um, which, I guess just gave me that, um, coming from a small town, it opened my eyes to, um, humanity more broadly and, and how similar we all are. And, and I, and I, you know, yeah, couldn't believe what, um, they had been through and their experiences and their stories and really feel like, felt like we could do a lot better (laughs) to support people, um, that were in that, um, in that situation. But it, it, I did get to see like those little moments of joy that, um, we could um we could provide them um in in such a difficult scenario but that was how
1: yeah. how did that opportunity come about? And when because when you go back to saying that, you know, you were aware of bigger things going on or things that felt more important to you than the length of the grass, like what was your <laughs> awareness of things that were going on as a young because
0: yeah. presumably you were
1: like young
0: yeah. at that point. Yeah, I always feel bad telling that grass story because I like I just to touch. No, on it's, quickly, fa- it's fine. It's fine.
1: It's not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's yeah.
1: That's the ideal job for someone. It wasn't the yeah. ideal job for you. Yeah, it's yeah, okay.
0: okay, okay. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, no, because there's there's thousands of jobs out in the world, right? I don't think anyone should feel bad about what they do or how they spend their days or or what work they do. I think I think we all should try and add value and give back. In different ways, but it could be to our colleagues. It could be to our family. Like everyone has different experiences. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say anyone's job is um, worth less or more than anyone else's. But, um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the grass needs to be cut. We all agree on
1: that. It's fine. Um, the yeah. question was, what were the things you were thinking about at that point that were like, actually, this feels more important mm-hmm. to me?
0: like were yeah, so, you really aware
1: of oh sorry go on
0: yeah sorry to cut you off yeah um it wasn't anything in particular and i think that's the interesting thing i mean obviously now being at the and i can talk about some of the stories or some of the experiences i've had around people in my life that have dealt with mental health issues and things and why that's a passion for me but at the time it wasn't so much a particular social issue it was that um i've And I, and so I've, and I've been involved in a variety of things, um, like youth at risk, um, obviously refugees, asylum seekers, mental health, like a variety of of things. And I think it's more about like, I was trying to work out how, what, what job could I do that, um, I would be challenged or, um, pushed to leverage the strength that I have in the best way possible. That was kind of the driver for me. And so I, it wasn't um, necessarily a particular social issue. It was more about where can I add the most value. Um, and so um, the role when I started at Batyr is very different to the role I'm doing now, and that's just been from kind of that mindset, I think, of now how can I add more value? I've learnt this thing or I've given this thing or I've made this change, and now can I? how can I kind of – um Look at a different way to add add value. So, yeah, it wasn't so much a particular social issue that drove me, and that's why I kind of took came back to that the the higher school experience because it wasn't so much about I'm passionate about this thing. I think it was more I'm passionate about trying to contribute in some way.
1: Amazing. And so, where did the um, Nauru opportunity? How did that come about?
0: I um, actually went so when that experience in um when i was sort of you know working through what i wanted to do after the the government i i was pretty unsure like i didn't know what my strengths were really and i didn't really know how to go looking for a, a, a job like that or um or what the job would be i studied sport management so it wasn't like there was like a really it wasn't like a, i'm not a psychologist or um or anything where there's like a really clear pathway to a job. And so I actually ended up calling like a bunch of um, mentors, like friends, people I'd worked with, and and just asked them questions about what they feel like my strengths are, what they feel like I could do or should do, how I should spend my time, et cetera. Um, and and that kind of just helped I guess for me that look a bit more specifically at certain certain types of um of roles and then yeah i just kind of went went searching for what was available um and and came across this role that was related to the sport management side of what i had done um was you know impact focused it was for a not for profit it all sort of aligned in terms of where i felt like i could use some of what i've learned some of what i'm passionate about love sport um and also do that in a in that in that sort of impact or not for profit space and um so i gave it a go it was it it's the way that that would that it was. It's offshore, so Nauru, I believe, is the smallest country in in the world. It's about it's an island that's three kilometers by about five kilometers, so very small. I think it's about ten, population of about ten thousand people. Um, and and so you'd fly in three weeks, spend three weeks there doing six days a week, twelve hour days, and then you'd fly back and um do three weeks off um back in in Australia. So it was a a. Different experience, um, but but an amazing one.
1: Wow! And so that is that a charity that's kind of working alongside the government to say, okay, you're putting because these people are in detention there, right?
0: Is that right, Um, or it's
1: they're being processed? That
0: yeah, they're being processed, uh, and so um, it was. So I was working for the Salvation Army. Um, they had the contract with the government to do all of the welfare work. The other organ the, there was also Save the children were working over there, specifically focused on on the kids. Um, and then and then there's like there was a couple of sort of more of the logistics companies that were you know the the ones responsible for building the infrastructure and organizing the food and all of that sort of stuff. so um there's a few different companies. That have that had essentially won contracts to do that work um, for the government over there, um, but yeah, and so I, I, I was working for the Salvation Army.
1: Wow, that's so interesting. Like, mm. I feel like I just have so many questions about this. How yeah, long did you a, do it for?
0: Uh, only for about six months. So one of the things that that happened, I, I can. The other thing is you sign you sign a lot of documentation to say how much you can and can't say, um, but uh, but but the public knowledge stuff is fine. So um, the salvage Army actually lost the contract to do that work um, after yeah after a pretty short time of me being over there, and um, and the logistics company won the contract for welfare, and and so it was just and and things had gone on my personal life as well that that sort of shifted. Um, the three weeks three on three weeks off thing wasn't working very well anymore um and so there was a few things that happened that that sort of meant that 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 wasn't the the way forward anymore but uh but yeah during that time it was a an amazing amazing experience and it's quite full on right when you're doing six days a week twelve hour days, you kind of really build deep relationships with people, and um it feels like you you know you're there for ten years really um and uh yeah, so it was it was an amazing experience. I I just you know I really felt for the situation that that they were in. The stories are like, you know, they, they all have different experiences in terms of why they why they are there, but um, some really sad experiences. And um, and again, similar to that to, the, to my time going to Kenya, I don't know, like I, I knew I was only offering moments of respite, right, for for these people, and that they're Their environment and their situation had to change for them to really be able to, um, you know, be in a position where they can even look after themselves. And so, uh, but I did, but I did just appreciate providing those little moments of joy or, or respite, you know, um, playing cricket for an hour and just seeing the, their faces change, um, from being really aware and stuck, stuck in the situation that they're in to just kind of escaping for an hour. Um, I think. Was, you know, just a powerful thing to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Where,
1: if you're allowed to say, where were people from generally?
0: Uh, yeah, sort of all, all over. So, um, Iran, Burma, um, Afghanistan, uh, Sri Lanka, um, yeah, a variety of places. And, and, you know, depending on where they came from was a, um, you know, a big, you know they came for, yeah they came for different reasons and and their experiences were very much um related to what life was like in those specific kind of countries and cultures and and yeah that was you know it was learned a lot from talking to to different people from different different countries and it was just, uh, it's just it's hor- just horrible you know like to to be in a situation where you feel like you need to get onto a rickety boat and travel across the ocean um That, you know, you're obviously in, in pretty challenging scenarios. Um, some people had like lost family members on the journey. Um, and, and then to be sort of, you know, sent to, um, some of these other places, not even make it to Australia and then take so long to be processed and all of these things. I I think it's just a really difficult environment. It's so hot. (laughs) It's like one of the hottest places on earth I've ever been. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just not a great environment. I mean, some of the policies have changed now. There's no, there's no kids on Nauru anymore. And so there's been some shifts and changes, but, um, it was a, it was a challenging, challenging time. So
1: did that change how you viewed the world? Or did that in a way make you think like, okay, great. I've found, I've found the meaning I was looking for beyond the grass. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Grass. <laughs> um, uh, I definitely saw the world differently. Like I, like I said, uh, you know, growing up in a small town, there was, you know, it wasn't. It's not a multicultural place, um, and so uh, my understanding of the world and people around the world um, was limited. And so, doing that experience, just. Yeah, open my eyes to um to the variety of experiences that people are, are facing and, and the levels of challenge that people are facing and and how lucky we are, you know, it, it it I think one of the important things when you do that sort of work is also is not um necessarily feeling like um like I'm grateful for, for the life that I live and, and that that you know what I've been given. And so it's more a matter for me of how do I use what I've been given to try and add, add value or, or give back to, to, um, to people that, that haven't been given what I have. And so, um, it definitely drove the fact that I felt like I could have an impact. Um, I could feel it. I was, you know, they're doing it every day. Um, and that was, that, that became a big driver for me. It was how do I continue to make sure that I can, I can feel that my contribution is having a really active kind of role in, in, um, Making someone's moment or life better in some way
1: hmm and so what did you do next
0: so then i um worked at and i did this so i worked in outdoor rec centers for a long time so um well not for a long time. I did a few years straight after high school before I went to university and then I went back into a different a different environment um to uh in um after after that. Um, role and you know part of well the role straight after um, high school was uh, I did some work sort of taking um, youth at risk out into the out into the bush for for a week and, and sort of um, trying to use outdoor um, education as a as a tool to sort of reframe people's views on themselves and how they interact with people um, and then and then there was a lot of school camps um, and we and we do a lot of uh holiday camps and things as well. So um that was that was a really fun job. Um and uh what so we, is, do, we do sorry, sorry,
1: what does youth at risk mean?
0: Oh um <laughs> yeah I mean that's not the best t- essentially um essentially young people that are that have um I guess a are in a situ- are in a situation where they're more likely to go down a certain path, um, than, uh, than, than other young people. So it might be that they've, um, you know, grown up in a, an unsafe home or, um, or have found themselves kind of early in life, um, abusing drugs or alcohol or, uh, you know, it could be a variety of different things, but it's essentially, pe- um, young people, the, the young people that came on some of these camps were, um identified either by their school or or social workers or whatever as young people that um really just need to kind of get out of their day-to-day environment um and 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 have huge potential and really just need kind of a chance to reframe how they look at the world how they look at each other and themselves and um and it did it was really powerful like in such a short time um the way that uh these young people would would change was pretty incredible that wasn't what i did every day there were like you know um Lots of other things going on on these sites, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was one of the things I really enjoyed about, about that, that time. Um, but again, I think I got to a point, um, where it was a really fun job. I I was fulfilled by, I love, I love working with young people. I was helping to write programs for, for those camps in terms of how we can kind of shift mindsets and shift, um, people's thinkings about community and, and, um, and how they can support each other and all of those sorts of things, which I really, loved it's a really practical way to um to sort of um change the way that we b- behave and interact with each other um being on on these camps but um but then i i was i i guess i got to that point where i was like okay again um i think i can do more i think i can there's something else i can add value to or contribute to um, and then the opportunity at the tier came up and it's um it was school program manager at the time there was about 6 people at the tier um, and it was helping to design and, and roll out the school programs across the country that had been very, it was very early days. It's probably three years in. It went from Seb, who was the founder on his own. Um, he just started to bring on a team. Um, and so it was sort of at that point we were starting to, to roll it out. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, and it's just sort of grown and grown from there.
1: Amazing. Cause how big is it now?
0: So yeah so at the time it was just um a few people in in Sydney um we've now got team kind of in all of the eastern seaboard states so up in Brisbane Sydney Melbourne Adelaide Canberra um and then uh and there's about 65 staff now um and yeah, we have reached over 300,000 young people through these face to face programs we've had about a 1000 young people go through the being heard speaker training program um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's been, been an amazing thing to be a part of and, and try and help be a part of growing that and, and doing more and reaching more young people. Amazing.
1: Cause yeah, the other point that I can't, I don't, can't remember if you said this at the start, but the really compelling point here is that, so like we know mental health, it's like the it's just a big problem and it seems to be growing and it's like really affecting. Um, I'm just thinking there are people in this audience who only care about like economics. But if you think about from an economics factor, it's like people aren't in the workforce because, I mean, particularly where I am in the UK, it's like the it appears to be more of a problem here. So it's like, okay, how do we, but it's like people accessing help And that was the statistic you guys talk about is it's like only is it 25% of only 25% of people are getting help or something. And it's like because it's like there are. Oh. Did it cut out? Sorry.
0: Yeah. I think we're back though. Um, I'm
1: sure what
0: happened
1: there. Do you remember? Do you? know that statistic of how many people aren't getting help because of the stigma. And so that's like the point you guys are working on. Like how can you get more of the people who need to be accessing help through the stigma so then that they get the help that they need?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in terms of, in terms of numbers, the, um, for, I guess, first of all, to your first point around economics that, um, Australian government commissioned a productivity commission report a couple of years ago, um, which found that, um, the, that mental, mental ill health and suicide cost in Australia up to $180 billion a year, um, which is, which is a, a a huge number. And, and I guess from our perspective, the relative investment in prevention and even in mental health acute and crisis support is just, um so so minimal um i think if you look at youth mental health is is around 1% of the overall health budget so um it's such a uh, a small investment into what is known to be such a significant I- issue for for the community um help seeking is a is a massive part of it in terms of trying to increase the rates of people willing to access support Um, But there's also massive workforce shortages around um, the country, I think even globally, um, around having enough psychologists and enough um, people to be able to meet the demand that has increased in in particular over the last couple of years. It was already a massive issue before COVID, but particularly now. Um, And so the other part of what we try to do is equip people to manage their mental health. and. Even better than that, ideally, is develop skills that mean that um you're not only able to manage when you may be in a more acute scenario or, or, or crisis situation, but much earlier than that, not even get into that situation in the first place because you've developed skills or you've created the connections or you've got the community or you know your support services or um, whatever it is that you may need to um develop or or have in place to ensure that you can kind of just manage your mental health every day in a way that doesn't get to that point and if it does you then also have the tools to manage that or the support services available um to you and so that's you know when 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 I say that there are that's simplifying a very complex thing there are more complex mental health issues that are much more difficult to manage and, and navigate but the earlier you know that you're dealing with those things or the earlier you're able to get support or start to work through it with professionals or whatever um the better chance there is to to sort of manage it but generally anxiety depression are the biggest um uh, the most highly prevalent kind of mental health issues and they are treatable they are there are great therapies and tools to manage depression and anxiety and so um you know when we're talking to a full cohort of young people we know that a large portion of them are going to need to navigate or manage that at some point and so try to give them tools to, to do that as well. So, yeah, it's it's about help seeking. It's about reducing stigma so that people feel more comfortable to access support, um, but it's also about developing kind of those tools every day as well.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, the other, yeah, the really compelling point that I think so many people aren't aware of is how many um, people die, like that it's the biggest it, for men, yes. it's the biggest killer under forty-five, right? In Australia, it's the leading
0: cause of death for um, fourteen to forty-four-year-olds, cross-gender. So, um, yeah, in in Australia, there's nine deaths by suicide a day, and seven are men. So, a huge, huge proportion of of suicides um, are, are men, but the numbers in themselves are too are too high. It's just, I, we we're just kind of obviously working in this space we just get blown away by the lack of com- conversation and 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 urgency um that there is around this when you know they are the kind of statistics that we're talking about and the and that this impacts you know everyone everyone in Australia's probably um had someone in their life that they've lost to suicide and so we just don't think we're doing there's enough being done we we've just um and so we've just released a new strategy and part of that is about influence so we want to not only be able to have an impact on young people's lives every day in in schools and universities and working directly with them but we also want to have a bit of a a bit more influence on the systems in which young people live and, and try to advocate for more investment in this area and um and try and change the way that um we're expecting young people to to reach out and get support and just make sure that we're um yeah, just much more focused on changing, changing that. It's just not. It's not good enough.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess especially because Australia, when you think about how much of a safety culture it is, and like all the spending that goes into preventing road deaths, and you know, like speeding cameras, or you know, bre- that's like so much more than in other countries. And it's like, yeah, not not in this area so that is awesome that you guys are doing that
0: yeah and i mean there's a lot of organizations are trying to work with i think it is a comp mental health i guess is um like i think it's what we need is like similar sort of um focus on some of those you know um you see it in uh in australia around um skin skin cancer as well you know and the slip stop slap campaigns and, and all of those sorts of things too but um mental health is a bit Different. There are a lot of social determinants that that impact mental health. So you kind of need to fix housing, and you need to fix food security, and you need to fix um, employment, and and all of these other things that intersect with mental health. So it becomes a complex thing to to solve. And so um, there are, you know, I sit on the board of Suicide Prevention Australia, and um and that's you know that's a peak body for suicide prevention in in the country. And they, you know, big focus for them is ensuring that suicide prevention is considered in every portfolio across the government and it's not it's not its own separate um you know health issue but it's an issue that um is um you know across across all of all parts of our our lives And, and and so i think there's a lot of really significant and complex change that needs to happen but it's just not happening quickly enough it's not a big enough conversation and and we kind of just need to do more i think to um to drive that both both as organisations but as, as community as well. I think ultimately politicians need to feel like it is a big issue for communities and so I think we just need to talk more um, and show that it's a priority. Yeah.
1: Okay, I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you have to start Not your work good. day but can I – ask one more question about going back to what you said at the start about the safe language is mm. that to do with um and this is actually something that would really help me for this podcast because uh because yeah there ha- there are people who've come on and spoken openly about their experiences and then I'm kind of unsure like before mm. a couple of them I've done I've kind of put it, I've put like the lifeline resource and I'll put it on this podcast as well. Um, but I, there's one thing that I remember hearing around talking about suicide that you, that it's like you shouldn't talk about the means and it, because it's the same thing with like the access to the means. It's like, you know, you see it in the US because there's access to, guns or you know you see it with bridges when you prevent when you put the barriers there it does reduce suicide like people think oh that why would that help because someone will just do it mm. another way and that's actually not how it works like because pe- it mm. might be just one instant and then mm. you get help in that moment like the girl you were describing at the start you get help and then it doesn't it's not like it's just going to happen the next day and so i My understanding was that it's really bad in films and whatever where they show the means or when people talk about the means because Mm. that someone might have the thought. And I have had someone on this podcast explain from a crisis text line explain like the ladder up, um, how like having the thought is different to then making the plan and then, um, having like it set in place. And that's why if you don't know how to do it, it actually saves lives. And so, Mm. but is that kind of the safe stuff you're talking about? Or is it also, because I've heard that's like this with self-harm. I'm really
0: sorry. I'm really, can I just, this is bad, but can I just grab my charger? It'll be, it's like literally right here. Go for (laughs) it, go for it. Sorry, that wasn't well planned. I, um, I, can't, I,
1: I can't remember if I told you or not that this is unedited, so that yeah. little bit yeah, of well, silence good. This everyone should... just gets to enjoy.
0: It makes it real, right? Like, this is just a real conversation, unedited. But, yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, so, yeah, well, like, first of all, the first thing you said around removing means is, really, like, a really important part around um, suicide prevention. Um, the things that we talk about being um, cautious around talking around uh things like um yeah so methodologies or, or or means um because it can just put can give people ideas essentially um and so uh and then and then um quantities and things so if you're talking about like eating disorders or alcohol abuse um sometimes people can make comparisons and go oh that you know they had x number of bottles of whiskey um that's way more than i have i don't have a problem so um comparisons are, uh, are something to be cautious of um as well uh and so but but at the same time you want to have real conversations too and so i i mean if you're doing podcasting and things i don't think um uh there's always a huge amount that that you that you can do and we i think the priority is having the conversation but it's just i guess um there's a a group in australia called every mind um and they support uh, the media industry around how to um to talk about this stuff and there's just some good general stuff for any any day people to to have a read of and just be aware of kind of how to how to talk about this stuff in a, a safe way but it's really more just about avoiding going into all of the detail you know if someone says i've i've tried to take my life um often the first question is oh, like how, like how what what to do um and, and that's not going to be really helpful for anyone Right, and so is that what um, kids
1: ask at school?
0: yeah, well, I mean, I think I think a lot of us are kind of c- curious at like how did you get to that point, and like what you know what did that look like for you and so i I think um yeah it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily help to say you know how how you attempted to take your life and so um but Something that is important is having the conversation and, and something that has changed it around the research, changed around the research is the fact that it's actually important to ask people if they are suicidal. Um, so there is, there are important conversations to have. Um, and then there's just, you know, things to just be careful of, I think, when having these conversations as well.
1: Yeah. And I think with the, uh, it's like, that's the really, that's really what I, I wanted to get across is, that when we're talking about suicide and people come on and share these things, and you know, I'm talking about my own experience with depression, it's like some people who don't haven't experienced it or like don't know about it, that can be scary about the idea of being suicidal. And then, yeah, but I think when that it's like we're more all more educated to understand that feeling, and actually, the statistic was crazy that. Someone came on and was saying that it's like the amount of yeah that how many people have that thought at some point in their life of like mm. I just would rather like not exist.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, like there's even so there's like three thousand deaths in. I obviously know Australian stats better, but um, it, it's a problem everywhere. But there's three thousand or so deaths a year um, by suicide, but there's sixty five thousand attempts, and so if. So there's even a huge number of people that are uh, taking a- attempts. That doesn't include what you're talking about, which is even a greater number around suicidal ideation. So, um, it, it, like, and this is what I mean, it is such a massive part of our communities um, and, yeah, just something that we kind of really need to elevate the conversation around, I think.
1: The other thing I was going to ask is, last question, promise, is um, oh, good, oh, good. <laughs> self is on self-harm because I, mm. someone was set, sa- I went to a suicide prevention breakfast the other day with a um, psychiatrist from Oxford who's going to come on this podcast as well. Um, and someone in the, you know, because everyone's there for s- some reason and there were a lot of people who were worried about their children. And someone was saying that because something had happened, like they'd tried to, someone had come in to like educate them about self-harm and then mm. because there was some thing that it had become a trend or as a result of that talk it had become mm. this kind of trend or people had seen it online and all kids were like jumping on to mm. self-harming to so I don't know if that's something you're but you have to be careful about yeah
0: definitely and that's why yeah i think that's why it's really important to avoid um some of that that language the conversation needs to happen um but there's definitely the right and wrong ways um to to do it there are um there are there's there's uh there, there's a concept around contagion particularly when it comes to Suicide that if someone does take their life, that it, it can create a bit of a ripple effect of others following. Um, and similar in self harm that it can, it can become a bit of a a trend is the wrong way word, but, um, it can, yeah, it, it is something that if someone says they're doing it, then you start to think, Oh, maybe that will help how I'm feeling. And then you start doing it. And then it, it can start to be, um, something that does grow from there. But, um, what again, what we do is, um talk about healthy ways to manage those emotions and the feelings um and experiences um rather than what sometimes happens, which is just focus on what's happened um or just share the story about like what someone did when they were self harming or just talk about types of self harm or whatever it might be um rather than just mentioning that in the well, um but then actually focusing 90% of our program on what you can do to manage your, your mental health in a healthy way how to access support um how to take charge uh so yeah i think that's definitely something that um you have to be very we we have to take very seriously and, and have to be very cautious around
1: yeah amazing i love that thing that it's like 90% about how Cause I just, w- I just worry that for like the older generation or some people kind of think about this mental health stuff is like this woke rubbish that young mm. people are like too mm. soft or something. But I think that's the key point that it's like, this is real and the people telling their real stories, but they're talking about. And I think, yeah, I love that, that you're like, how to empowering people for how to manage it on your own because yeah at the end of the day like we all have to be responsible for our own health but we need the tools to be able to do that
0: yeah and and you know we don't um we don't think that every person in that room is is going to necessarily um they'll have you know moments of of depressed mood um, or anxious moments like every human being and learning how to manage that at different times is really um, a a, a really great tool to thrive in life. And so that's a big part of our focus too. It's, yeah, there are a group of young people here that need to access support. There's a group here that don't right now, but they will one day. And then there's a group that are going to be pretty fine through life, um, but for them to thrive and be even better, they need to understand their brains at the way that they feel and, and how they act and behave around people and how they can do that in a much better way. And so, you know, I, I don't think um, it's not a matter of trying to be, you yeah, know, like woke and saying, you know, depression is, is something we're all going to deal with and, you know, um, trying to hang your hat on that. It's, it's just about understanding what it might look like if you're not doing your best and you're not 100%. Um and how to manage that day to day I think it's a great that's a great um tool for all of us to learn and and great knowledge for all of us to have to make sure we can live the best life that we can much much better than um not talking about any of that stuff at all and and trying to work it out ourselves in our own head um I don't think that's gonna be great for anyone and
1: are you in that last category
0: what what's that as in <laughs> as in
1: I'm making assumptions about you but that you are which I shouldn't do because you I hate that when people are like oh that person seems so happy like how can they <laughs> be depressed and it's like yep because you don't see everything that goes on but have you I'm just assuming don't, because yeah, you don't have a kind a story of around. It. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so um I've, I've never been diagnosed with a mental health issue. Um, I see a psychologist, um, because I, uh, I feel like it helps me to manage stress and, um, and parts of my life that have been hard. Um, I've definitely gone through extended periods of feeling down, um, and dealing with grief and, and things. Um, which has been, which I didn't have the tools to to manage, and and meant that it did kind of, I think, was went un, unmanaged for a while. But it but it was never kind of a um, an extended kind of lifetime um, experience as it is for some people. So my my experiences is more uh, my uh, uh, people that I love around me um, that have been dealing with depression. Uh, my uh, my older brother's best mate died by suicide, and so um, you know there are those close people to me that, um, I've, um, seen struggle and and not have the tools. And I think for me, one of the big motivators was how I interacted with, um, that with people in my life that, that were, that were struggling. And, um, you know, I I remember, um, I don't think she would mind me mentioning, but my mum, um, um had dealt with depression at different points in her life and at one point she told me she was taking medication and i just uh, and at the time i just said i do not you don't need to do that like just go on a holiday you'll be fine um that was my understanding of mental health at the time and so that's kind of what i want to help shift and change for other young people it's not that i had a bad i'm not i wasn't a bad person um i had good intentions in that but that was the extent of my knowledge as a 15 year old kid or whatever and so um if we can not only help those people that need to access support but help the ones that are interacting with people that are really struggling um then we're just going kind to of have a better society of people that are empathetic that people know how to support each other how to have a conversation if someone says yeah i'm actually so su- I- i've actually had suicidal thoughts um a lot of people are like oh sh- sh- now what do i do um but if we can teach people how to have that conversation then i think um it's it's everyone we all we all need to be part of part of sort of solving this and and helping um support each other and being a bit more empathetic a bit more caring, a bit more thoughtful around people around us um and to ourselves too
1: amazing yeah, and I guess i would yeah i guess I' would just add for anyone who's listening if you are you know starting to talk about it and you're kind of worried about it from my from my experience it's just like when you keep if you just keep saying how you're feeling but especially when you're like i'm taking you know i mean i'm i'm getting the help i need like i'm on top of it but it's like you share and you just it's kind of like you just have to keep doing it because there are a lot of people like yeah, like, your reaction where they really mean the best, but they're just kind of like, oh, like, great, you're having a good week, like, you're solved. <laughs> and then it's like yeah. the next week you're not feeling like that, so you do just kind of have to keep educating the people in your life who do love you and they care about you and they want you to be happy. But, yeah, you, you like, just, yeah, I guess just keep sharing it and then that's how we all – um Get more educated, I guess. Yeah. As learn. well as like, yeah,
0: exactly. We're not going to, people aren't going to learn without hearing what those experiences are like. And so it can be frustrating, it can be hard. Burden shouldn't always be on that person. But, um, but I, I think if it, if you, if you're getting, um, back from, from one place, then I think it's also worth looking at. Is there someone else in your life that's worth having these conversations with? But, but don't give up, um, because there are people that, that, yeah, that love you and care about you and, um, and, you know where where those people too. You know, like that, whether whether we know you or not, that um, uh, there's people that care, and and there's ways to get support, and it can be hard, and it can feel like that is not true, um, but it is true, and and um, it, we just you just need to keep pushing and 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 trying to find those ways, um, and then for the rest of us, we need to keep pushing and keeping an eye on each other, and keep reaching out, keep asking, are you okay, um, and keep trying to learn how best we can support people that we care about around us as well.
1: Yeah, and I'm sorry to hear about your brother's Mm. best friend. I, Yeah, I lost my brother to suicide as well. I can't remember if I told you that, but that's why I'm super passionate about Mm. this. And, Yeah. yeah, for anyone who's listening, who it's like trying to remember in those moments, because I think it often is in those moments you think no one would care like yeah the world would be better off without you or no one cares but it's Mm. someone yeah now i'm getting emotional because it's like yeah yeah, someone definitely cares you probably just um so it's like please remember that in that moment if you can okay
0: for sure no thank and thank you for sharing that and i think what you're doing is so important like putting these Just people's stories out there for people to hear that life's hard sometimes and that, um, or, and I know they're not all of the, you know, all the people talking and talking about life being hard, but, um, but it is tough and, and we do need to come together. I think you're creating communities through having these conversations and you're creating space for people to, to share their experiences. And I don't think it's always clear cut. It's not always easy. It's not always. Really clear on why or how or what happened or how it could have happened differently or any of those sorts of things. This stuff is all very complicated. Um, but I think it's also important sometimes to kind of simplify our role in it when we can and where we can. Um, and then do our best and, and, um, and that's all we can do. Um, so yeah, well, I'm, I've no idea what that experience would be like for you. And I'm so sorry that it happened. Um, where, trying every day to to stop to stop it happening um but it's horrible horrible um experience to go through
1: um okay last the last three questions i have for you that everyone gets that are quick Mm -hmm. unless there's anything Mm -hmm. you want to say before that
0: no all good let's do it
1: okay what what do you do to stay grounded?
0: What do I do to stay grounded? Um,
1: I think this question of... used to be, do you, like, do you meditate? But then so many people like, no. So yeah, okay. I, I know it. what you.
0: But I know what you mean. Okay, that, yeah, that's what I was changing. Um So I live near the beach. For me, being near the beach or water is is massive. Um, and so I pretty much go for a swim every day. Um, which helps me, uh, stay pretty grounded. Um, and then, yeah, just creating space out time of, out uh, time of outside of work, um, to be doing other things and thinking about other things and creating space. I do do a little bit of mindfulness, not a huge amount. Um, but even just for me, like just sitting watching TV night time is a great kind of just escape to, um, to, to, yeah, stay grounded as well. But the beach is a big one and exercise. Nice. Okay, is there
1: a book that has had a big impact on you?
0: Um, I'm not a massive reader, to be honest. Uh, I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. I don't know if there's been That, one that counts really as
1: like- reading. Audiobooks oh, are okay, books.
0: Okay, good, good. Um. I just i I'm trying to think if one has stood out to me. I mean some recent ones that I've actually liked. I listened to Um Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey recently. <laughs> it sounds I like a bit of a funny one. But that. It's actually um it was actually some really cool just like life reflections in that that um that uh yeah I found really um helpful and interesting. That was probably the most recent one.
1: Amazing. I love that. Be and because he has a story like this when he yeah. bit when he goes to the monastery place in the middle of the desert and he tells his he, whole story to the priest yeah. and the priest is like me too. Yeah like, he, he has an amazing
0: just... story. And he's a big he's a big thinker. Like there's just a lot of really cool life reflections in that. Even the concept of like green lights and red lights and what's doing different life situations, I think so yeah some cool stuff in that. And his accent's awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I and he went on his you're in Australia, near you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, near there. Yeah, sort of. There's still a few hours away, but I definitely know the area. So I could, I could definitely relate to some of the things that he was saying. Nice.
1: Okay, last question. What three words describe the best version of you?
0: Um, wow. Uh, positivity. Um, uh, um, caring, empathetic, maybe, um, and, um, (laughs) that's hard, third word, friendly. Amazing. I don't know. What are yours?
1: (sighs) Mine, I think, have to change. I've always said, or the first time I said it, was brave, honest, and kind. And now I actually have, to help me, I have a little reminder in my phone that comes up every hour that says happy, calm, and confident, and it's like checking in with myself,
0: like, That's cool.
1: (laughs) I I I mean, you can't be happy all the time. but
0: No, and same with positivity, but you said the best version of yourself, so I took that as a – I have a similar reminder once a week on a Monday um, that says work hard, have fun, be kind. Um, And so that's a good reminder for me to kick off the week each week as well.
1: Amazing. Mm. Yeah. Good prompts. Have fun's a good one. Yeah. All right, thank you so much. Sorry we went way longer than
0: I said we were. All good. All good. It's great to chat to you. Thanks for having me on.
1: You too. Have a good day at work.